Please turn to Acts chapter 16. We've sang about God, we've sang to Him, we've prayed to Him, we've thought about Him, even in high theological terms this morning, in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And it's a good thing to be in the public declaration of God's Word, to come together. Just let me give you an encouragement. That's not the only reason for the church. You know this, don't you? The Word of God is very important. But God wants believers to gather together to do that. You could listen online to any number of sermons and get the same thing if that's all the church was. The church is a collection of believers, the bride of Christ, all fitted together into stones, into the temple of God even. So let me encourage you who are here. God bless you. This is what God intends for His church. I don't mean everything we do in our church. I mean the gathering together of His people, walking hand in hand. And Listen, it is all of your responsibilities to get to know each other that you might fulfill your duty as priest and priestess and know what to pray for and when to pray for what and how long to pray for it and to discuss the greatness of God's glory. You hear me? You'll be doing what you're supposed to be doing if you get to know God's people better. How can you be their priest if you know them not? This is why we sometimes rail against churches that have 8,000 members. Not because they're not preaching the word. It's just how can you pray for them and lead them if you don't even know their name? Seems like a very difficult challenge. All right, so back to the text, Acts chapter 16. Last time we discussed the end of chapter 15. And um, this walk through Acts has been a great blessing to me. I hope it's been to you. It's been um, an encouragement to remind myself of the particulars about these missionary journeys and what was going on exactly. Not just the great sermons that we have recorded that happened, but just the hows and the winds and the whys. And why did they loop around and go by ocean? Why didn't they just walk back? It was closer to just walk back. Things like that have been very interesting to me. Last time, if you remember the end, the church in Jerusalem had come to a decision that, that circumcision was not required to be saved. And that they were going to send the men who came from um, Antioch in Syria, Paul and Barnabas, along with others who were going to come from Jerusalem with a letter and also their personal testimony that this is what we came to. This was what our decision was. The Holy Spirit was working among us. 
Here's a letter to summarize. You have, this is what we've determined for Gentiles. That you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. That's what's in the letter. And they arrive to Antioch. Remember, the sending church of Paul and Barnabas. Actually, the church that ordained them for that ministry, too. And they arrive there and do everything that, that the Spirit had confirmed. And we are told that the church there was encouraged and rejoiced. That was their decision? Amen. They were encouraged and rejoiced. And Paul and Barnabas remained there in their home church for, quote, some days. No idea how many days that is. Seems like more than a couple, though. Uh, And they continued to teach and preach in their home church. And after those days, whatever amount that some days was, Paul has an idea to return to the churches that they administered to on their first missionary journey. He wanted to, quote, see how they are, end quote. There would be no phone call, right? No phone call to Iconium. No phone call to Derby. How are you guys doing? Hey, how was that seller that we preached to that was down by the market? Did she ever come? There's none of that that could have happened except by letter, which is not going to be very often. Paul wants to go see how they are. Barnabas is in complete agreement. Yes, let's do it. They, though, fall into a sharp disagreement about the particulars of that second missionary journey. Barnabas says, great, let me go get John Mark. He went with us last time. It'll be perfect. Paul's very much against that, saying, He left us. I'm not bringing him again to leave us again. No, we're not bringing him. And if you remember, we discussed this. Providentially, I'm not saying whether this is um, advisable, but providentially, they split into two missionary groups because they could not come to an agreement about John Mark. Paul says, fine, you take him. I'll take Silas with me. And the scripture says that Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas went back to the churches that they had been to. Um, The other Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and so on. So providentially, the the disagreement resulted in this missionary force being doubled and sent into two different regions. And, you know, I'm sure that that has blessed the world. Um, You remember Barnabas and Mark, they go to Cyprus. Remember that? That's actually Barnabas's home. So he, he went back to the place that he knew the best took John with him. And Paul and Silas go back on foot toward Derby, but they first go to Paul's hometown of Tarsus in Cilicia, the place that he knows really well. And they're going to strike out from there to strengthen the churches, to, quote, see how they are. Okay, well, chapter 16, 
of Acts, we learn about the trip from Paul's side of things. Verse 1, we'll read through verse 15. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they passed by Mysia. They went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Amen. Verse 1. After leaving Cilicia and Paul's home area, leaving Tarsus, they kept going west. If you look at a map and there's a Mediterranean Sea, if you start on what would be the northeast corner and just work your way west, I'm not going to, it's going to be difficult for me to do it backwards for you. So you'll have to picture it. The map of the Mediterranean, start in the northeast corner and work your way west. They leave there and go to Derby. Remember, Derby is the place where they had, quote, preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. And they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. This is where they went after Paul had been stoned. If you remember, he spends the night and then wakes up after being nearly dead, walks 50 miles to Derby. And upon arriving there, quote, made many disciples. Like, what did his body look like at that moment? 
I mean, he just survived. I mean, was he healed miraculously by God? Like all the swelling, everything gone? We don't know for sure. They kept going west after leaving Cilicia and went to Derby first and then Lystra. And remember Lystra, two things of note, where the crippled man who had never walked because of the condition that he had had from birth. He had never walked. It's not that he lost his ability to walk. He had never walked. Some sort of birth condition. He was healed. And you remember, Brother Edward mentioned this just a few minutes ago. They wanted to worship them when this happened, presupposing that these were the, some of the Greek gods who had come down in the flesh. And it says with, like, barely able to prevent them from worshiping them. They, they go to get materials and firewood, and we're about to have a sacrifice. They barely restrain them because these people are so enamored with the power that they've seen. But also this same place is, quote, where Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So on the one moment, they, they admired them greatly, wanted to worship them, and now being persuaded by unbelieving Jews who have been following this missionary party from town to town, show up and say, no, 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 these guys are evil. We need to kill them. If this doesn't show you the fickle nature of the human heart, on the one hand, we're going to worship them. And the next moment, no, I changed my mind. We're actually going to just kill you. Like, it's crazy. And listen, so they're going back, right? They're going back to Derby. Derby doesn't seem to be a place where they experienced great persecution, but after that, they're going to Lystra. Paul and Silas, to me and to you, show great courage going back there. Don't they? Did he limp out of there? Did they drag him out of there with barely any of his life left? He's like, I want to go there. There's believers there. I want to see how they are. And were there people around him saying, Paul, let's not go there. It's not God's will for us to go there. Look what happened last time. We don't see that, that speculation. But if if their Christian life is anything like we've experienced, there's naysayers sometimes when people are trying to do a good thing. Paul meets a disciple named Timothy. There. He seems to be from Lystra. And we're not sure about the faith of his mother. And we're also told later in a different passage about his grandmother. We don't know if they were converted under the ministry of Paul and Barnabas when they first went there, or that they were converted by others who had been converted from the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. We're not positive there. But he meets Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, this is interesting. Apparently, right, um, inner, 
Interfaith marriage was discouraged in Judaism, was it not? But it still happened. And in this case, even though his father wasn't a Greek, the Jews would have viewed Timothy as a Jew, an uncircumcised Jew, not an uncircumcised Gentile. They would have viewed Timothy as an uncircumcised Jew. Your mother is Jewish. You're a Jew. Yes, your father's a Greek, and yeah, that's not the best, but your mom's a Jew. And this is very important, I think, in our understanding of what happens here. Timothy being well spoke of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So following the, the first missionary journey, the, the churches seem to be active, seem to be communicating with one another. Paul meets Timothy, says, what do people say about him? He has a good report from multiple locations where believers are gathering. Brothers at two different places. Three, Paul wants Timothy to come with him. He recognizes that he has, he has, God's with him. He has gifts for this work. He sees the things that others have said about him, that they saw his faith and his practice was sincere, and that he had the grace of God in his life. Paul says, we should bring Timothy with us. He's useful. Except that there's a big problem that's certainly going to come up. If you think about where they've gone as they go from city to city, where do they go first when they arrive in a new city? The synagogues, usually. They already have a lot in common with them. They go to the synagogues first. Okay, they're going to bring Timothy, whose father is a Jew, uh, a Gentile, his mother is a Jew. He's uncircumcised? Get him out of here. You can see how this is going to be a big problem. We also can see the problem that they just had a council meeting about this. And the Gentiles were not to be required to be circumcised. The problem here is Paul doesn't view Timothy as a Gentile. He's a Jew. His mother is Jewish. The way they're going to view him is as an uncircumcised believing Jew. Not an uncircumcised believing Gentile. So there seems to be two Rules of practice. If you've been Jewish and circumcision is a part of your heritage, keep doing it. If you're a Gentile and it's never been part of your heritage, you don't have to do it for Christianity. That doesn't seem exactly right to me in my mind. I think they should have told them all, don't do it anymore. But anyway, it's not not for me to say, just comment. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So you can see this problem. He brings Timothy, they go to the synagogue to minister, to teach, to preach. And the the question is going to come up, why is he not circumcised? Who's his mother? Who's his parents? His mother's Jewish? He should be circumcised especially coming from unbelieving Jews in the synagogues. They would have viewed him as one who's not fit to teach and speak in the synagogue. 
He's not even following the basics of Judaism. How can he get up here and teach us something? So Paul decides to circumcise him as an adult. Quote, because of the Jews in those places. So I think, let's be clear, he's not contradicting the decision that had been made in Jerusalem. And saying, yeah, I know we did that, but we're going to require Timothy to be circumcised anyway. I don't think that's the case. That's not what's happening. He's making sure that there's not going to be a hindrance to Timothy's work in every single city that they go to that has a synagogue. He's making sure that that doesn't happen. And verse 4, I think, clears it up that he's not contradicting. Verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So even though he required, and well, he, he did circumcise Timothy, everywhere he went, he told them about the decision that had been made in Jerusalem. We're not to require that Gentiles be circumcised. It is not necessary for salvation. This is what we've told them, that they um, abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. Acts 14.21 Verse 5, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. The ministry of Paul and Silas and now Timothy, it was a successful one. The churches were being strengthened in the faith. More people were being saved daily. The churches were growing numerically. Verse 6 through 8, now this is interesting. So remember, we've been working our way west across the north side of the Mediterranean. And they've gone west from um, Tarsus into Derby into Lystra, gone just a little bit north into Iconium. And you would think they would just continue on to the west. Just whatever cities they come to, they're going to preach in those cities which was called Asia. Not what you think about when you think Asia, but Asia back then. And the Spirit said no to that idea. They they went through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They were trying to just keep going west, and the Spirit said, no, don't go west. So they turn and go to the north. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, which is north of where they were walking. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, we can't go west anymore. We can't go north. What if we go northwest? So they do. They go northwest. The Spirit allows them to go northwest. They... Um, Paul receives a vision in verse 9 after they had arrived in Troas and the vision told them about a man of Macedonia. Basically, the vision was you need to get to Macedonia. That's where your next mission field is. Not these other places. I, you know, 
if you think about it the way we would say it, I totally get why you want to keep going west. There are lots of places there. That's not where you're stationed. You need to go to Macedonia. And why is that? Why does the Spirit say no to going west or north? We can't answer. I mean, we know that eventually um, Peter worked in those areas that were west where they would have gone to had the Spirit allowed them. Peter worked there later. So perhaps the Spirit was saying, that's not for you. I've got other people who I'm going to station there. You need to go to Macedonia. And so they end up following this on a northwest path that's some 400 miles on foot from Lystra. 400 miles on foot. They apparently are much more able to walk long distances than we are, right? We could probably walk 20 miles in a day. Could you walk 40 miles in two days? Man, I don't know. Our, our feet would be pretty wore out. How about 60 miles in three days? Doubtful. This is 400 miles they walk. And after that, there's something interesting, very interesting. Verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Who's we? We've got Paul, we've got Silas, we've got Timothy. Who's the author of Acts? Luke. Up until now, there's been no we. Everything that's been mentioned is not as if Luke is with them. But now he's with them in his writing. And we're not sure why the change. Was he not with them and now he is? That would be certainly a good reason. Um, We're not sure if he's been with them on this whole second missionary journey or if he met up with them in Troas only. We're not sure, but at this point, we've got Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke all traveling together on the second missionary journey. Exciting times in the history of the early church. These are titans as it relates to the early church of God, are they not? Heavyweights, you could say, in the providence of God. I mean, he's granted them an open door for effective ministry. All four of these men. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. But that's interesting. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So after seeing the vision, they know where, okay, we're going to be stationed in Macedonia. We just need to get there now. So, verse 11, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following days to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. So, now leaving travel by land, they're now traveling by sea. And going through several areas, they arrive at Philippi. And Philippi is an important city in the region and and has special status even as a Roman colony. Not all would be viewed this way. Um, They were very close to very important trade routes. And they stay in that city for a while. And from what we know from the scriptures, it's the first church in Europe. What was, you know, Europe at the time, this is... 
the first church that we have record of. They stayed there for a while. And this is interesting to me. We remain in this city some days. So they arrive. The Spirit has reassigned them to Macedonia. They follow the Spirit's leading. They arrive in Philippi. And they, as soon as they get there, they start preaching. And people by the masses are believing in Jesus. No, that's not what we read. It says we, they've been there some days. Doing what? It doesn't seem like they're preaching in the moment. There's not an open door yet there. Which, you know, could be discouraging. It seems that there's no significant Jewish population there. No synagogue. There's no mention of them going to the synagogue there. No preaching opportunities for this some days number, however long that was. We don't know if that bothered their faith or not. Would it have bothered your faith? You really feel like God's calling you somewhere. You go there and you get there and there's nothing to do. Just waiting. After walking past other cities, which they wanted to go into, after some 400-mile trek by land and then multiple ships at sea to get to this special area. And we'll see next time, not, we won't see it today, but next time they're even beaten not long after arriving there. But these men are bold and brave and they know in whom they've believed in. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They know it. They know it. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Not sure what that means. Were there often places of prayer in every city by the riverside? I'm not certain about that. Or why they supposed there was a place of prayer there. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One heard us who was a woman named Lydia. You don't see very many Lydias in real life in our time. When Lydia sees somebody who has a name tag that says Lydia, she always goes, look, Lydia. It's not a very common name, but... In the scriptures, it's a beautiful name. because Not because she was beautiful, but because of what God did. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. We're not sure if she was a Jew or a Gentile. The, the, there's some, I was reading Dr. Gill's commentary on this, and he said there's some um, ancient writers that are writing about Jews and they mention people named Lydia. It's, it has been used for Jewish people or for Gentiles. Probably not a poor woman. I'm not sure how wealthy she was, but she's a seller of purple, which is very expensive. The purple dye was very costly to make and therefore the things you dyed with it and then sold were costly for people to purchase and you get the money from it if you're a seller of purple. 
Not sure if she's a Jew or Gentile, but Luke says she was a worshiper of God. This is before hearing the gospel. Before hearing the gospel was seeking out God before hearing their message, right? One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. She, she was, she's been a worshiper of God. But even so, even in that state, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. If she was a worshiper of God, you might think in our way of thinking, well, then she's going to be opening her heart because she's a worshiper of God already. She wants to be moved by God. But it's beyond her capacity to do. I think what we're seeing here is what the Scripture says. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is what we believe about the gospel. Not that we deserved grace, but that He gave it to us. And what's the right response to receive such a gift from the King of Kings? Worship, obedience, love. Isn't it? This is what happened to Lydia. The Lord opened her heart. It seems there are others there too. It's not mentioned that the Lord opened the other women's hearts who were there. We don't know if they were or not. But in other places we are told something similar, and it includes the other people that are close by. When the Gentiles heard this, quote, they were glad, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Acts chapter 13. What we're told here is the Lord opens her heart. She's saved by the grace of God, and... The people, verse 15, um, after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, let's pause there, she, she was not baptized for them. Don't misunderstand that. That's wrong. She was not baptized for them. She believed, and so did her household. The baptism in Christianity is always for people who believe. You, you don't... Please don't ask me about being baptized for the dead because I'll tell you, I don't know what that means. If you do, tell me because I don't know what it means. But in other, every other instance, right... Repent and be baptized. They're connected together. People who hear the word believe and are baptized. And they say, Anna's household. You shouldn't assume that she believed for her household and she was baptized for her household. No, they believed too. And you might say, well, surely she had influence on their believing. Well, amen. Godly testimony about what God's done in your heart should be 
It is a means that God uses to bring others to Christ, isn't it? You mean, you mean you saved him? Well, there's hope for me too. Verse 15, the end of that. And her household as well. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She, being a believer, being a baptized believer. Listen, I've told you this many times. Let me say it again. How many days has it passed since she believed and was baptized? I can't tell you the answer, but it's definitely not six months. Which we would consider to be a short amount of time from faith to baptism. I think maybe we're wrong about that. I think if it's person has a credible profession of faith and they understand the gospel, baptism should not be withheld. In the scriptures, the pattern of the early church is they are soon baptized. And her household as well. And she urged us, if you've judged me to be faithful, come stay. Come to my house and stay. Immediately she has the gift of hospitality, Perhaps this is further evidence that she was not a poor woman and had a place that could accommodate this traveling party, feed them, be hospitable, refresh them. Dr. Luke says, and she prevailed upon us. (laughs) We stayed there. You can think about this. They've been traveling for a long time, 400 miles. I don't know how long it took them, but they've been on the road, and I'm sure it, it actually was nice to to be with her. And we'll see, you know, we'll see later that Lydia, Lydia's not gone from the story. You know, next time we'll see um, well, you can read ahead. God opened her heart. Is he opening your heart? Did he open your heart? Would you testify that God caused me to be born again? And I am born again. And if you would say that, I would say, good. Act like that too. Not that I think you don't, but let me encourage you. Priests and priestesses, do you have a picture in your mind of like reverence and holiness. I don't mean the, the sons of Eli. Do you have a picture in your mind? There are people who are serious about their job. And we should be. We should be serious. This is our role. God has formed us into a holy nation, a royal line of priests and priestesses. Thanks be to God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for our time and your word. We pray that you'd help us to understand it even more. Father, we thank you for putting together these people by the Spirit and for your leading them. And Father, for their courage, even in the face of strong opposition and even bodily harm, 
it was the world that was wrong. They weren't wrong. They were walking in obedience. Father, we pray that you'd help us to walk in a good way. Cause us, as your church, to learn about each other. To let people into our lives. And, Father, that we might grow up in our faith. That we might encourage them. And they would encourage us. And we would both be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Bless us as we have lunch together. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.